0: What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have special guest Lewis Velocinroar on the line today, aka founder of Keto Gains. How are you doing, man?
1: Hey, Robert. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, who are you and what is Keto Gains?
1: Okay, uh, well, I'm uh, Luis B. from Mexico City. Uh, Basically, I founded uh, an outlet that is called uh, Keto Gains, that it's uh, a website that is uh, dedicated to help people improve their body composition, um, build muscle, lose body fat with a ketogenic diet and strength training.
0: Very cool, very cool. And, and the cool thing about what you're doing is you've been doing it for a long time, and you were doing it long before I ever got into the space because Keto Gains <laughs> has been around for almost 10 years now, right?
1: Yeah, basically. Um, I, I started Keto at about 2001, so I've been doing the diet for a little more than 17 years constantly. Uh, but, uh, what I mean, uh, because some people ask me, oh, you've never dropped uh, from Keto in uh, 17 years, and, of course, that's... Uh, a little bit, uh, let's say, naive to think, but I can uh, say that I stay on the diet for at least uh, like 360 days a year. So it may drop out of the diet uh, for a very special occasion or a treat, but I rarely you know, drop for more than one meal. Yeah, Usually when I drop it is when I have a wedding or a big event or so, and there's really something that is really worthwhile. But outside of that, I really, it's just my preference and as you probably, it may be for you, uh, your lifestyle, right? I, uh, pers- I'm i a person that normally prefers a little bit of the salty foods and prefers to eat meat and eggs and so than, you know, um, eat uh, other stuff.
0: Well, 360 out of 365 days a year is not bad at all. <laughs> no. So so what, uh, I mean, what got you into the, the diet in the first place?
1: Well, um, contrary to, you know, to the usual uh, person who starts keto that it's for, for weight loss, you know, just to drop a lot of body fat, my story is a little bit different because even though I was uh, the classic fat kid in school, I I was like uh, in my school, you know, at a time here in Mexico, even though right now there's uh, maybe, I think, uh, probably the second fattest uh, country in the world in regards to children, uh, I'm 40 years even though people may not believe it, so at when I was a kid, I was uh, the second fattest kid in my school. So <laughs> that can tell you something. i I was not you know super super obese, but I I weighed about a 68 kilos at my heaviest, and I was 12 years. So right now, just to give uh, you perspective, I am at 74.5 or so kilos. I'm not a, a very tall guy. I'm five foot six but uh, if you put it in perspective a small uh, Mexican kid that weighed 68 kilos or so it's huge you know i didn't do any sports uh, i preferred to read uh, video, uh, uh, comics uh, i preferred to play video games uh, so really i was just super sedentary but At the time, I was inspired, you know, by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was super big, you know, in the 80s, uh, and I wanted to look like him. Then also, I had, you know, he-man toys and everything, and I said, I want to look like these guys. I don't want to be fat anymore. So, I uh, started to read, you know, bodybuilding magazines. I wanted to to get thin on my own, because um, this is a story I always say. My mother took me to a nutritionist, to a dietitian, and this uh, lady was... You know, super, super fat. And <laughs> the first question that I made her is, uh, why are you going to tell me how to lose weight if you haven't been able to? You're, you are like super fat. You got <laughs> my, and you know, just to tell you the story short, uh, I went with her like a, a couple of times. And every time that I went uh, to get my review, I was heavier because she never really explained me. And I'm a man of questions. That's why I started Ketogins. Mm-hmm. I want to know exactly how things work, why things work, etc. So um, what happened, just uh, to not give you a super long story, is that I managed to lose weight on my own by doing exercise. I started strength training, but uh, even though I gained size, even though I lost uh, uh, most of my weight, I never looked you know, like a bodybuilding uh, athlete. I never got super ripped and I wanted to know exactly those secrets. So, when researching, and, and remember, I'm talking about na- late 90s, uh, 2000, there was no internet really. Um, and I just stumbled upon uh, some books, and then finally, internet came and uh, I got into bulletin boards. And I started researching on uh, a diet and a book called Body Opus, which led me to Lyle McDonald and the ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I started learning again more research, and it just like sort of clicked into me. Um, I was about to study actually uh, nutrition, but do some um, family businesses, I went and had and a studied marketing and business administration instead. But I always kept uh, fitness and nutrition as uh, you know my hobby and passion. So I researched about ketogenic diets. I read all of Lyle's books. I used to frequent uh, all the time his uh, bulletin board at the time. He didn't have a website. And uh, based on that, I sort of did my version of a ketogenic diet uh, and I basically did it on secret. Nobody knew what I was doing because uh, my bodybuilding lifestyle and my eating uh, lifestyle was kept on the side. Like when people saw me, they just saw that I just ate chicken and veggies and some mayo or, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they, I, It was very hard to actually explain them what the hell I was doing and why I didn't eat rice or, you know, tortillas here in Mexico, beans, uh, whatever, the classic things here. So it worked for me and it just seemed natural. And, uh, well, over time, I started helping people on the Internet when they asked me what I was doing, you know, on, on bodybuilding boards, then on Reddit. And basically, over time, I had uh, this following and I decided to make a web page and a Reddit board on, on my own.
0: Very cool, very cool. Like, yeah, the, the Keto Games Reddit, I think that's where I first stumbled upon uh, your work there. Because that, that, that grew, that kind of blew up in popularity relatively quickly, right?
1: It, w- it was, a, a, you know, a fun venue. It still is. Uh, the thing about Reddit is that I used to help people on the main keto board, but I was doing things a little bit uh, differently than what, um, you know, the classic approach to keto it's super high and that people use percentages and so, and more so because I had a more of a nutrition background uh, and a bodybuilding background, I didn't use uh, percentages because I understood that the, you know, that the therapeutic approach to a ketogenic diet is uh, a little bit different than an approach for body composition. So I knew the importance of keeping at least a minimum amount of protein of uh, understanding that fat, like depending on your goals and the, and the context, one cannot eat really unlimited fat if one wants to get a six pack. And so so I, when I gave advice, it was a little bit contrarian to what some people already knew about a ketogenic diet. So what we decided to do at the time is, um, I, I tell, tell it as a joke, but it sort of is true. Uh, the other moderators uh, banished me to keto gains. So they say, okay, your approach is a little bit different than Contrarian, so um, why don't you go and create your own KetoGains land where uh, you can give free, free advice and then we send people that are into strength training and bodybuilding to you and then um, the advice won't sound so different than what we normally give here. So that's why and how KetoGains
0: was uh, incepted. So you were kind of (laughs) mutinied against your own creation until you had to just basically make your own from scratch again, huh? Uh,
1: Basically, yes. And and that's uh, like, in in reality, the approaches are not so different, but people get all the time, uh, you know, into a war. Like, my approach is better than yours. Like, if it was a cult or even, uh, you know, a religion, which is not. And uh, I I understand perfectly where people come from because I was there once. Uh, for example, uh, when I say that it, one should not uh, lower their product, protein that much, some people get a little bit, um, you know, mad or angry because they just changed to a diet, to a ketogenic diet from a standard American diet, and they are just uh, frustrated to be to have to change views again or to you know learn things again. It's difficult to change from an American diet to keto because it's uh, has a, it breaks a lot of paradigms.
0: You know, I agree.
1: And then uh, when you tell them, okay, yeah, but, you know, there are also some things that you need to review and change. And it's not exactly how you've learned. People get a little bit uh, desperate and some angry because they just had these, uh, you know, change in their minds. And then you're telling them that they have to change it a little bit again. So it's very natural for, you know, for humans to get a little bit frustrated when you know change makes things
0: difficult yeah i agree i think i think there's so many different ways to accomplish you know a, a goal um it, it's cool to see people become so defensive uh to keto as a whole because it's, it's they have that pride behind the diet compared to what they were with like an american you know standard american diet but at the same time they need to be open-minded to to different ways of manipulating the ketogenic diet you know because nobody's the same and what works well for somebody might not work well for the next, you know?
1: Exactly. That's uh, why I always try to emphasize uh, the keyword or one of my favorite words is context. Like uh, Everything depends on the context. So if, uh, like, uh, for example, one of the main questions that we have all the time on keto games is someone comes in and asks for advice. And then uh, they say, okay, uh, so I'm not losing fat, fat. what, uh, body fat. What do I have to do? And uh, you get some people that say, increase your uh, your fat intake. Eat more fat. And uh, what I would say is, okay, first, before you, you say people to increase uh, dietary fat, let's look at where these people are and what their goals are. Like, are, are they super low body fat? Do they have like, I don't know. 15, 17% body fat, or are they super um, uh, overweight? So that's one thing to look upon. Then uh, how long have they been on the diet? What what are their usual uh, meals like? And so, and then you can, once you have the whole picture, you can probably give them better advice than just saying, you know, a, a blanket statement.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, one of the, the big misconceptions right now in the community is, is that they can just get away with eating as much fat as they want and that calories don't matter, which I exactly. disagree with very strongly. Um, I personally have performed well with you know a higher fat ratio, but if I was to just consume 5,000 calories of additional fat, that doesn't mean I wouldn't gain any body fat. You know, I guarantee you, I would. So yeah. Here's,
1: I- uh, here's the deal on how I explain it to people. Like, uh, there's a very different uh, metabolism on how your body, well, like, more so uh, how your body uses carbs versus fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also when people, you know, change from a standard American diet that is high on carbs to a ketogenic diet, first, uh, some people experience a reduction of appetite. So even if you have people saying, I eat as much as I want, but I'm not gaining weight or I'm even losing weight, yeah, but the thing is that you're likely eating less than, than before. Like, you eat as much as you want, but the thing is that now you want less.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, also, that uh, as you know, portion sizes don't not, uh, directly correlate to, uh, to calories or energy from the food. So, you could be probably eating way more in, uh, you know, in, in portion sizes. Than before, but those foods are even uh, maybe less caloric dense, but more nutrition dense. So that's why probably you're not gaining weight or probably losing. And then also, while when you start the diet, there's a slight time where your body learns to use better uh, fats as fuel. So there is a slight loss of energy just uh, in heat, you know, a thermogenic effect, uh, because your body's not really, you know, let's say it. Um, well uh, aimed to probably use uh, dietary fat and fatty acids preferably so right. there is a net loss of energy during that phase
0: i'd, I'd love to kind of talk about because because you've been you know keto adapted for 17 years i thought i was impressive at three years uh, but you got <laughs> me big time beat so have you like for me personally i noticed like a, a third stage of adaptation so to speak once i had been adapted you know strictly for about a year um have you noticed a you know a, a an increase in efficiency the longer that you've been in
1: yeah and this is something that it's not just my n1 i actually did a podcast uh, i have a good friend in italy well he lives uh, in england a uh, scientist called alessandro ferretti and he's actually doing research on the, on this very topic he has not published it yet as far as I know but uh you reminded me just to, to ask him um on the efficiency of uh, these uh, types of diets And also, Marxisan has uh, experienced it as well. What this means is, uh, when you're on a sort of a whole food diet, very much a low uh, carb Paleo or Keto, uh, where you're, you know, just eating whole foods, not uh, really processed foods, over time your body, let's call it as a cellular level, mitochondrial wise, becomes super efficient. Let's say it can use more energy. Uh, per gram of the uh, of uh, any macro you're ingesting. So at first, it may look like you have uh, downregulated your metabolism. But in reality, what is happening is that you are becoming more efficient in the usage of calories, you're wasting less. So it's funny because uh, we humans uh, all the time want to improve efficiency on everything that we invent, right? Like for example, you have your car, and the aim of, uh, of your car when you go and buy a new car, you actually want to review how many kilometers uh, you get by each uh, gallon of gas and so, right? Mm-hmm. But in the human body, we just want to overeat or eat whatever without, uh, you know, gaining body weight. <laughs> and uh, that's how I, f- how I find it a little bit uh, funny in, in regards. And if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective and uh, you have survival in mind the more apt human would be the one that could, that would be able to do way more with less calories. You would be able to survive more. And I mean not just survive, but actually do things. And this is something um, that I've experienced. I, I normally eat uh, two times a day, sometimes even once. It's something that I do not recommend, especially for beginners, because it's not optimal for body composition. But again, um, a parenthesis, I've been lifting for more than 22 years. I'm very much at the peak of my genetic potential, Uh, my natural genetic potential. I probably will not build that much more muscle during my lifetime. Uh, I'm happy with my current frame. So uh, I normally just try to stay around this uh, weight all the year. So what I was uh, trying to say is that I normally eat once or twice a a day. And I train for about two hours without getting winded tired and I normally train fasted I just may have a little bit coffee and MCT all beforehand and uh I have no need you know to stop I need on, on whatever I could go just like that all the day and I'm uh, you know in the gym I'm a very active person. so this is something that i that, that I've seen people that they cannot really do uh, on other diets, you know
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, uh, I did the same thing myself. I eat one or twi- once or twice a day and then I'll just go to the gym fasted. I think I have more energy going in fasted than if I were to eat, you know, a, a meal beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And same thing, no, no loss in energy while training. I'm really you know interested about what you said about, uh, the longer you're adapted, the more efficient your body becomes to the sense that you're using more of the calories you're taking in. So in, in that sense, in that light, like, uh. 1300 calorie you know deficit on a ketogenic diet is not necessarily looked at through the same light as a 1300 calorie deficit on a standard American diet because you're using more of that efficiently right?
1: Exactly. So uh, uh, let's um, put it in perspective. So the body has basically two uh, energy systems. So you have um, you can use carbs as, as energy and you can use fat as energy right? Protein is really not an energy source, even though your body can metabolize it and create a glucose from it and eventually ADP. Mm -hmm. For those that really don't know, your body really doesn't use calories. Your body uses ADP, which is, uh, let's call it the currency of the the body. So um, your body can generate certain numbers of uh, ADP from carbs and fats. Um, It can generate fast ADP for carbs, but it generates less. And it can generate a lot of ADP from fatty acids, but it takes quite a while to actually, you know, metabolize them. So when you become more efficient in using fatty acids as fuel and even ketones, uh, what happens with your body is that basically it increases the speed at which it can generate those ADP from from, uh, these macros. So basically you're becoming more efficient. And this happens at a cellular level. Uh, the mitochondria are, you know, basically the powerhouses of our, all our body. That's where, like, they're like power cells where they, you know, the ADP. So your mitochondria become super efficient at using fatty acids as fuel. Basically, that's that's the answer. But this requires uh, adaptations, and they take quite a long time um, because your body always chooses efficiency. And uh, if you you give your body carbs, it will prefer to use carbs because they are the the ones that require less energy to be used.
0: Right. Do you have any, I mean, obviously it would be different for every individual, but do you have kind of like a general rule of thumb as to how long you need to be adapted before you can really start tapping into that efficiency?
1: Here's some, like, you will uh, read in the internet and so that it takes like uh, three, three days up to a week to become a, Uh, fat-adapted in a way that's more so that your body can use fatty acids as energy, but it really depends on the person, how uh, overweight they are, if they are athletes or not, etc. And then you become keto-adapted, it takes like uh, two or three uh, months, it really depends. But really, there's nothing written and there are no studies. So it's more so like anecdotes Mm -hmm. on how people report they feel. So... What I could tell is uh, like it would be my general experience that I've seen on clients is that depending on your previous diet, like for example, there's a very big difference in adaptation from someone who comes from a whole food or paleo diet versus someone who comes or jumps directly from a, key, from a you know, high carb diet, a standard American diet. Mm-hmm. Someone who comes from a standard American diet and jumps straight into keto may have a very difficult time at the, uh, at the start. But let's say that they get into ketosis and start uh, using fatty acid as fuel, probably between you know in a week or so. That's when they pass this um, keto flu, and then they may stop uh, getting uh, very intense cravings, and that's when your body says, "Okay, I understand. You're not going to give me any more carbs, so I start. I have to start using fat as fuel." So that would be again uh, in about a week or so. Then let's say three or four weeks, so it becomes a month up to three, that's when the body becomes super efficient at using both the fatty acids and the ketones, and even more if this person does some sort of strength training or uh, any other kind of sports which requires the body to increase energy usage, right? Um, But if you keep doing the diet, let's say probably for a year or so, again, while training, while uh, not overeating, while also maybe practicing uh, some sort of fasting or alternate fasting or intermittent fasting, um, you are also doing uh, what is called metabolic training. You are not uh, giving, uh, let's say, a surplus of energy all the time. So your body, uh, instead of using just dietary fat or dietary carbs as energy, has to tap on what is stored so let's remember that our body can store limited amount of uh, of carbs as glucose as muscle glycogen or liver glycogen and our body can store almost an unlimited amount of uh, fat as um, as body weight right mm-hmm. but really we cannot store amino acids we just you know can create muscle and can repair muscle tissue and so so uh, over time the body learns to use efficiently and basically at about the same rates or as needed, uh, carbs and uh, fats. That's basically the, the aim of a well-balanced diet, I think, that your body prefers to use uh, sorry, fatty acids, basically your own fat stores, preferably, and will only tap on glucose uh, when needed. And when do you need it? Well, for maybe talking about strength training for very explosive movements. Talking about CrossFit, when you're doing, you know, again, explosive movements, there may be other sports that are super glycolytic where you may need, um, again, more carbohydrates. But for the most part, we humans really don't need that much or that many carbs. Uh, Unless you're, you know, doing uh, or playing all the time soccer or jiu-jitsu or, you know, those types of sports which are highly glycolytic. A normal human, again, from an evolutionary perspective, would be most of the day sedentary, you know, sitting uh, a little bit, walking here and there, but would only require short bursts of, I don't know, intense intense effort when probably hunting a prey, right? Mm -hmm. Normally, you would would just go following it until the prey got, you know, either cornered or tired, and that's where you would be, you know, um, trying to kill it, and that's where you would probably be using uh, all your glucose stores.
0: Right, right. Have you, uh, like... From a carbohydrate perspective, what what do you personally incorporate uh, like how many what's a typical day worth of carbohydrates for you how many grams?
1: It really depends on uh, what I'm doing on the day but normally if uh, like I, I'm one of those uh, boring persons that normally eat about the same things every day <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, normally my, my meal would be three to four eggs either beef, uh, salmon, uh, chicken, turkey uh, sardines I eat a lot of sardines. And I eat uh, avocado, spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, zucchini. So basically, a lot of lots of greens, um, lots of uh, fatty cuts of meat, and also lean meats, depending on where uh, my goals for you know for the time. If I want to lose body fat or want to maintain, and I do ingest uh, fat on the side, you know, like avocado, MCT oil, coconut oil, olive oil, olives, anchovies, and so. But uh, in the end, I end up between 20 up to 40 grams of net carbs a day so why is uh so so such a big difference it really depends on the type of training i may be doing for the day i do like a a mix of a power lifting and strength training which normally some people call power building Mm -hmm. so i do i do lift very heavy on the compound lifts so when i'm probably going to compete or want to train around heavy lifts And my training is going to be super intense. I may ingest a little bit of carbs before training. So depending, maybe five or 10 grams. But I do ingest them from um, uh, usually glucose or dextrose, which are basically the same. So that's what really increases my carb content for the day. Because otherwise, it's just uh, green veggies and, you know, trace carbs that may come from other food stuff.
0: So basically, just uh, pretty much, you know, trace carbs from veggies. And then depending on your training, you'll have like a targeted ketogenic diet approach basically
1: exactly that's uh basically the approach i follow on heavy training days uh targeted ketogenic diet
0: gotcha gotcha um so what let's talk about your training what do you are you have like power powerlifting meet or anything coming up
1: uh this year i have not really looked up on uh, any, anything because i have a like wait, I'm, i was just reviewing my schedule and it's super busy So i, I will be probably traveling, traveling a lot in Mexico and the States and even in Europe. So I haven't really looked, but I normally compete on IPF here in Mexico. So some, uh, local meets, then, um, uh, if I, uh, if there's something nearby, I may even join, uh, the, you know, state meets. And two years ago, I even competed just for fun on the, uh, on the Mexican IPF, the one that, uh, Qualifies for international. And it's funny because that was my actual first, uh, well, over my biggest official meet. And I just did it to prove people that you could uh, place very well by uh, doing a ketogenic diet and even fasting. So I wonder, uh, I ended up at 72.5 or something kilos, and I ended up overall at 12th place uh, from, uh, you know, uh, 45 persons in the whole meet so and, and I had never done an official meet before so it was like my christening in a way
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Without yeah. enough official coach and so uh, So it proved the point that one of again It's not optimal, but one can actually you know uh, get good numbers while doing fasting and uh, Doing on a ketogenic diet.
0: How long did you fast prior to the meet?
1: like 48 hours because i was afraid i was not going able to be to be at um to be to and that's something you should not do again the things i do are more so uh, just you know to experiment and do these crazy things but something one should not be you know doing if one wants to optimize things there are some crazy things that i've done that i never suggest to clients like again fasting for over 16 hours i don't think it's beneficial for body composition right because over time you know uh right now there's a big craze about fasting just as we had keto about two years ago and the thing is uh, people think that the higher ketones you have the more time you fasted that you're up you know i don't know and on a next level of holiness right so you have people competing oh, i fasted for 24 hours i fasted for 48 well good for you but in the end uh that's, nothing, that's something that may not be optimal for body composition just because I said it before, your body can store body fat, your body can store uh, glucose, but your body cannot store amino acids. So once uh, you deplete the amino acid pool you have in your bloodstream, what your body will start to do is uh, take out amino acids from your muscles because muscles are really not up to a point necessary for, you know, for uh, bodily functions. But your body requires hormones, and your body requires to repair normal cell, cell turnover. And, of course, your vital organs are more uh, important for your body than your biceps.
0: Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> um, exactly. What uh, th- th- this, is a, this is an interesting topic because fasting is pretty hot right now. Uh, but you said another thing, too, that I really like, which is, and it's like your tagline as well, which is, you know, chase, uh, chase results, not ketones or something like that. Um, yeah. Which I agree with completely. A lot of people, they get so hung up on the idea of, you know, the higher my ketone number is, the better I'm off, um, which is far from the truth. And unfortunately, a lot of companies kind of made their mark, you know, selling exogenous ketones that only temporarily boost your, your ketone levels, but is not an accurate reflection of your level of adaptation.
1: Um, exactly. And, and here's a, also, I don't know if um, you've experienced, but this is something that we've seen um, with a lot of actual athletes and people who are, you know, doing the diet for performance and also depending on the type of training you're doing. Uh, when you start the ketogenic diet, and also we talked about this before, uh, when the keyword was efficiency, mm-hmm. your body Uh, starts to uh, metabolize dietary fat and a byproduct of that uh, metabolization is uh, are are the ketones right Uh, so what happens for a time is and especially if you are quite overweight and if you are not adapted to the diet your body generates a lot of ketones and they accumulate on the bloodstream why because your body is really not using them that's why uh, when you start the diet and you use those uh, P-Sticks and you show uh, purple, people get excited because, okay, I'm in ketosis. Yeah, you're in ketosis for a time that, uh, as indicated by the P-Sticks. Over time and the more you are adapted, you will show, even if you are doing perfectly the diet, that the P-Sticks stop working. They don't show you as a, you know being in deep ketosis, even though you may not be eating any amount of carbs, even though you may not beating super high amounts of protein, whatever reason, right? So people get a little bit scared and think that the diet is not working anymore. They are not uh, losing weight at the same rate as they were in the beginning. So, you know, they either want to buy exogenous ketones or whatever to increase those uh, ketone numbers. What happens is, again, that your body has become super efficient at using those ketones. So there's a reason why you will not have as much accumulated in the bloodstream. And the answer is, again, because your body is using them, right? Absolutely. So, the only real way to measure ketones, once you are, or you've been uh, on the diet for a while, is uh, with uh, blood. You have to take, a, you know, small, you know, like those uh, blood, uh, blood glucose uh, breaks. You do the same, there are, you know, uh, uh, keto sticks where you can actually measure the blood, uh, the ketone content of your blood. But again, over time, Uh, Your body becomes more efficient so you also show less ketones on your blood Again, because uh, let's remember that it's uh, like a a gas matter, you know Like uh, like if you wear a car and your blood carries energy uh, It's like people obsess about having high ketones and they forget that having high ketones is just a measure of how much energy is available at any given time if you are more efficient at using that uh, energy, then probably you will not have that much energy accumulated in your bloodstream. That's basically what ketones are, are energy. Um, So some people that are not really used to the diet at the time or are eating lots of uh, dietary fat, of course, may have higher uh, numbers of ketones because, again, they have that energy available in your body. But if we look at it from an efficiency perspective, it would be better. To not have so high ketones just you know barely or uh, you know uh, enough to be in dietary ketosis but not a lot of them again let's remember what ketoacidosis is it's a overaccumulation of ketones basically your body is not able to use them at all and that becomes a problem right
0: yeah I totally agree and I'm glad you said that because uh, you know, like I said, I've been, I've been adapted three years, and I noticed that after my first year, my blood ketones started decreasing at the time. I didn't know what the result of that was, and it started to concern me. But uh, awesome. the more I learned, the more I realized it was just greater efficiency. So there's kind of like a, a double edged sword with the whole high ketones, even with the blood test. You know, it, you want to have, you know, if you just got off of a carbohydrate diet, then you can expect to have low blood ketones. Uh, but then the longer you're in ketosis, you can also expect to have lower blood ketones and it becomes a positive to see that number go down.
1: Exactly. So uh, uh, this, um, it's very difficult to actually say what your optimal ketone levels would be because there are lots of fac- factors involved. But I sort of can explain it this way. If you are new to a ketogenic diet and start eating more fat than you used to, uh, you're going to, you're going to have higher levels of ketones. If you are very overweight and are doing the diet, you will have also likely high levels of ketones because your body is burning your own body fat. But it doesn't mean that um, like uh, you should uh, really have them super high. It really depends on the person. Not everybody burns body fat at the same rate. And also depends, again, if you're fasting, like if you fast likely because you're not ingesting many calories, then your body will require to burn more, um, your own body fat as energy, right? Because you're in a fasted state and your body needs energy. Um, But um, if you ingest more dietary fat, you may also have more um, uh, uh, ketones at any given time. Again, because your body is getting all that energy and has to metabolize it or incorporate it into body fat. It, it, it It has those two choices another thing is uh, exogenous ketones like the ones that they sell currently for various reasons i normally for people who want to lose body fat i don't suggest to use them they may help some people uh, you know get into the diet faster to avoid cravings and uh, reduce hunger because that's one thing that uh, ketones seem to do for some people Uh, and they also give lots of energy so let's say someone who his Though is, is uh, someone who comes from a very high, high carb diet. When they switch to a ketogenic diet and before their body adapts to using ketones and fatty acids as fuel, they will probably have a hard time because their body wants the carbs, but there are no carbs at all. So giving them the actual final product, which would be the, the ketones, uh, their body will use them immediately and so that people report um, a benefit of well-being you know increased focus uh, how they feel both emotionally and physically and in th- those cases it can help but here's the truth uh having higher ketones especially if those ketones are exogenous doesn't mean that your body is burning uh, a- a fat at an increased rate uh we normally call it as a joke uh uh, uh, false ketosis or false ketosis, mm-hmm. basically because uh, yeah, you're using ketones, but those ketones are not your own. You know, they are just you just in, um, you just put ketones in your body. They are not let's call it real ketones. They are not your ketones. So for the sake of fat loss, it would be better if those ketones were produced from burning your own body fat. For people who want to lose weight. If you, on the other side, are an athlete, a ketogenic athlete, and you need an increased, um, you know, extra for performance, uh, well, then you have two choices. You either increase a little bit your fatty intake, but that's going to be maybe a little slow, um, you know, for performance, or you increase a little bit of carbs, or you also incorporate a little bit of exogenous ketones uh, before training or before, you know, an event or so. Because, again, ketones are the end product, of uh, fatty acid metabolization so uh, your body will always prefer to use what is already you know in the table what it's already the end product and the end product is either glucose or ketones so your body can use both of them and you will get that extra energy but again for fat loss it may not be uh, the best idea to use uh, exogenous products because the body will lose those ketones first instead of uh, burning your own body fat
0: yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. I had a had Doctor Brianna Stubbs on the other day and she she's pointed out some pretty interesting research that indicated that exogenous ketones from a performance like weight training perspective might be more advantageous, uh, you know, taking like post workout as a recovery than than even used pre workout. So it's 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 unfortunate to see so many people just wanting to, you know, shovel it in before going to the gym, assuming that they're gonna just, you know, burn twice as much body fat.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, they actually, uh, there are some uh, recent um, reviews and uh, even studies that support the theory that, uh, and it makes a lot of sense, that ingesting lot of, lots of uh, exogenous ketones actually blunt lipolysis And it makes perfect sense. Uh, it just very much this way. Again, the body will always use what it's readily available and the, uh, what it doesn't have to work for, right? Again, we are... Uh, we, the body wants to survive and wants to do the less work. Mm-hmm. So if you give it the end product, what it will do is stop metabolizing uh, fatty acids because it already has the end product in there. It's very much what happens uh, with people who use uh, uh, t- exogenous testosterone. What happens with bodybuilders who inject themselves testosterone? Well, uh, natural testosterone generation will uh, uh, decrease because the body already has the testosterone there, right? So it very much happens the same with uh, any exogenous substance that that you give the body. If the body has to make it, but you already give it for free, then the body doesn't have to make it anymore because the body will always look for balance.
0: Yeah. And that, and that I mean, that makes perfect sense in my mind like that, that I can, I can get my hands around that. I don't know why that's a, a huge confusing topic here, but I think, I mean, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. People, exactly. need, people need to just put in the work and look to proper nutrition before looking for a supplement.
1: I don't know. Uh, I'm sure you've used uh, exogenous ketones before training. Uh, and I, this is something. a question that I, I have for you. Have you experienced that you crash uh, faster if you ingest exogenous ketones? Because that's something that I personally have experienced on some types of ketones. That I may get like this uh, high rush of energy, but mid-training and also depending on the you know the duration of my training for the day, I may crash faster than if I had not used them. So it's like, a, let's say, like an, a nitro rush where I get like super uh, high energy, but for just a little short burst, and then I crash mid-training.
0: Do you think your training is amplified before the crash? Like, is, is it a is it a worthwhile cost, basically?
1: Like, uh, for example, let's say if I'm uh, going to practice, you know, for a powerlifting meet where I'm just going to be doing the big three, mm-hmm. I've seen, like, yeah, I, it works there. But on other types of days that i let's say, I train, I don't know, I'm going to do a full body workout when I start with um, probably high-level squats and then... Um, uh switch to accessory lifts uh after i do the squats i'm crashing you know i have to take more weight recovery but it's not just because of the training because if i do the training let's say with just uh coffee and mct oil i don't crash i can go on like forever you know three hours with the same intensity no big uh resting periods but if uh I take, let's say, uh, exogenous ketones like, you know, on powders, salts, or even uh, esters that I've tried recently, I've experienced that just, you know, 20 minutes in, I need, you know, to take a break. So uh, I I really haven't uh, been able to talk to more people that train this way. So it's, as of now, just my hypothesis on N1. Uh, I'm talking with some other researchers, they see, or they they may support the, the idea that, you get this burst of energy, but burn, just as you get it in, you burn it, and then you need you know, like a resting period. But it really depends on the source of uh, of ketones. Not, you know, again, MCT oil would be like more slowly releasing. And then if you had just uh, coconut oil, it will be even more slowly releasing versus just getting the ketones by themselves.
0: Yeah, I, I could definitely agree, agree with that. Um... I've had the esters and the salts, and when I had the ester, uh, I had like 60 grams, so pretty good dose. And I was training legs, and I had a really good, uh, had a lot of energy, a lot of power, great workout. But then as soon as the workout was done, like it was a, it was a fairly quick workout because I just attacked with a lot of intensity. But as mm-hmm. soon as the workout was done, I was, I, I had trouble walking out to the, to the truck in the parking lot. Like I was totally gone. And then you know with salts, uh, to me I think the salts affect me similar to like eating a meal a couple hours before training probably because you know when you look at it salts 30 minutes before and like a meal two hours before they're probably both finishing at about the same time um and I think that I start to drain a little bit then I noticed the the longest training uh endurance when I just have like a coffee uh several hours before you know a fatty coffee
1: okay yeah so probably it's very much the same I think it's uh Something I will try to look more. I haven't seen many people that use uh, exogenous ketones for training. So normally most people just may use a little bit of MCT or even coconut oil.
0: Mm-hmm. I think honestly the, the biggest benefit to some of the exogenous ketones on the market right now, the salts anyways, are just simply it, it, it becomes an uh, efficient way to get in enough sodium and potassium. Oh a lot yeah. Because people are deficient in that as is
1: that's uh basically i think uh, one of the biggest issues for people who just uh, start the diet and then also to maintain it because um i see a lot of disconnect and it's also uh, well uh false information uh in regards to you know one of the biggest questions that i also get is uh, why do we have to supplement electrolytes when on a standard american diet we don't have to so this is not natural uh, you know even though it it may uh, seem logical that this is how our our ancestors ate, like, most of the time. Why do we have to supplement? Why do we have to ingest uh, salt? And why do we have to ingest potassium and, you know, magnesium? And uh, people forget that basically most animals uh, that free roam, they look for salt deposits, you know, and they have to basically supplement by themselves salt or the foods they eat, they, they, they have it. Um the thing is that if you eat a highly processed uh standard American diet, it has the electrolytes added in because otherwise you would be deficient. Uh, like they, are, they have those uh electrolytes and other nutrients and vitamins added in on purpose. Uh but if you eat a whole um, food diet, okay, you have your uh vitamins and minerals, but people don't really eat as they should. For example, uh nowadays people don't eat that much organ meat. But, if you I don't know in the states how it was how it used to be, but here in Mexico, uh, I still remember my mother when I was a small kid giving me, for example, liver or even a uh, chicken heart in you know, in uh, a and bouillon. And nowadays, that's something that you don't see anymore. even if you go to the supermarket, it's very hard to actually find liver. You have to go, you know, to a butcher and ask for it. and so, and it's super cheap. and that was that that uh, that is where. Uh, a lot of the electrolytes are beforehand uh, the humans ate you know when they eat ate a cow or they ate uh, you know livestock they ate the whole animal including bone bones you know for broth and so and even uh, some of the blood you know even in Ireland they they make sausages out of the blood and so and also in Spain but again nowadays we just eat uh, the muscle of the animals so we are uh, you know throwing away a lot of the vitamins and also a lot of the electrolytes. And then that's why we actually have to supplement them uh, separately. Let's not also forget that salt has been super important for all humans throughout, you know, since uh, we we became humans. That is even why in Rome, uh, the soldiers were paid their wages in salt. And we people forget about it and are very afraid to actually, you know, increase our sodium intake. And it is as uh, bad as probably using super high salt than also being super low on salt.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and people, they, they take for granted a lot of the, the micronutrients and stuff that are in these organ meats. Um, I, I've, been, I've been taking an active role to try and get more in like a, one of the things, I mean, everybody knows liver for iron, for instance, but it's probably lesser known that it's also one of the best sources for like vitamin B12. Uh, exactly. And like CoQ10, you can get all that in organ meats as well.
1: Exactly. And uh, also, this is uh, like uh, people ask me, how do you look uh, big and uh, pump and uh, without carbs uh, and training and so on? it's uh, well, the main secret would be just get some, you mean, before you train. Like uh, I may add uh, a, even one or two grams, depending on how I feel, to my pre workout coffee when I train. And that's what gives you really vascularity and pumps. People th- think that it's just carbs and once you're adapted, you really don't need carbs to, you know, to, to look big because your body is, uh, sparing to a point muscle glycogen. But if you want to look very vascular, it's all about, you know, um, water, almost homeostasis. And that's why you need sodium. If you are all the time sodium depleted, you will be super tired and don't look as uh, big as you normally would on a high carb diet. Uh, sodium is basically the spice of life.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh. I think sodium and potassium, it's, it's interesting, um, sodium potassium and in, in water intake. And I, I really learned a lot about this during the last two weeks of my competition prep because, I mean, you know, as a competitor, before you step on stage, it's all about you know looking having that thin skin and not look like you're retaining any water. And it's, yes. this, it's really just a balancing act, and, and people don't realize this, but there's an equilibrium point where you consume the right amount of water, sodium and potassium for your body, and, and maintain that, that intake for enough time for your body to equalize you can have you can double the sodium but then you also have to you know manipulate potassium and water the same way for your body to find that equilibrium exactly so very very interesting um, what about what about other supplements and stuff are you uh, do you recommend or use or incorporate any any other supplements yourself I, both you and I seem to come from you know typical bodybuilding background where supplementations all out there. So creatine, for instance, what do you, what's your take on that?
1: Uh, creatine, uh, it's one of the must-haves, even if you don't strength train. Uh, as you know, there have been recent studies, or well, not not so recent, but they are like in there, that uh, it's also uh, neuroprotective, or neuroprotector, So it has a lot of benefits outside of just uh, strength training. Like uh, beforehand, people just thought it was, uh, you know, for bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. But also people who run or do triathlons or any other sport, uh, as, uh, as you know, uh, creatine is more so of an ATP recycler, so it works really for everything. And then, again, as a neuroprotector, the, there are some recent studies that show that people, for example, with Alzheimer's or any other neurodegenerative uh, diseases, see an improvement in, um, in cognition when they start supplementing with creatine. And uh, here's an interesting uh, fact: is that people say that okay, I don't need creatine because I'm eating lots of uh, red meat, and so. And even though you can and your body will generate a little bit of creatine from um, whole food, the reality is that for creatine to work, you actually want it to be super compensated on your muscles. So basically, no one will eat adequate uh, amount of uh, meat, or, or or really, you cannot get. Uh, super compensation from creatine just from food. You actually have to um, ingest, uh, you know, the creatine powder for quite a while. Let's say one two weeks to be super compensated, and then creatine is used on a daily basis. So that's why you have to keep taking it on a daily basis to maintain that super compensation. And uh, and the thing is that creatine is so cheap, it's so cheap, and it's uh, there's you don't have to cycle it or stop taking it or whatever that it just becomes one of your daily staples if you do whatever, right? And if you want to stop taking it, it doesn't happen anything bad again. So, like, that's one of the supplements that I basically recommend to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or if you are uh, 20 years or 65. It's one of the things that I suggest people to try, Um, Outside of that, uh, what I normally use on my pre-workout, I like to experiment and see things that are, you know, evidence-based. I talk a bit with uh, Sean Wells. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's, uh, you know, a super formulator. And uh, I follow basically everything that he says. I try to research on my own. Uh, So now I've been using, at his uh, recommendation, theacrine before training. Because it uh, seems to improve uh, performance and also uh, uh, like uh, you don't feel as fatigued as much. Uh, So uh, so right now I'm experimenting with uh, tea cream along with caffeine. Because as you know, caffeine gives you energy, but then for some people it also gives you a crash. And if you supplement those together, uh, you seem to not experience the crash. So you can go on and on and on. So that's one of the things that I normally use or I've been using for the last two months. I normally also add citrulline on my pre-workout. Again, also uh, to increase uh, vascularity and uh, endurance. Uh, outside of that, right now I'm not using anything else. And uh, Normally those that, that would be the, the supplements that I have on a daily basis. And again, only on, on training days. And creatine, again, that's a daily thing.
0: On the On the creatine, do you have a... Are you just doing like a simple creatine monohydrate?
1: Yeah, that's basically what I use. Uh, and depending on uh, like uh, some people prefer, you know, the micro whatever. Mm-hmm. But it really depends. Uh, like I've seen no difference on on my case between using creatine monohydrate or one of those uh, micro-filtered uh, new versions. Uh, most of them, from what I I know, is just marketing. So. If you're one of the very few persons that actually may experience, you know, a rash or even bloating, um, you could try the microfiltered version or micronized It's what it's called. But um, some people are afraid of using creatine because they think they will bloat. And the thing is that, yes, you retain a little bit of water, but the water is retaining your muscles. So you really, you're you're not getting fatter and you're just uh, probably getting bigger or your muscles may look a little bit bigger and that means more power output. So what I would say, people just not worry about it. And even if you gain one, two, or even five pounds from using creatine, it's not fat. The moment you stop uh, taking it, you will lose that uh, water weight again.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think you retain much less water weight with creatine on a ketogenic diet because you don't have the glycogen anyways.
1: Exactly, it's negligible. Like, I, um, I remember when I started taking creatine, again, I was like, Oof, I think it was in 1999 or something, in one of the first GNC stores they opened here in Mexico. Uh, and I used to take it, you know, like old bodybuilding style, where you had to, you know, load up on creatine and take like 30 grams of creatine for a whole week. Basically, ju- you finish the whole uh, top of creatine just by loading. Mm-hmm. And then you had to take it with grape juice. And so, so imagine that I gained again, I think like about five kilos just from taking creatine. So it's about eight pounds or so. Uh, it was crazy. And I just, I was saying that uh, I was uh, scared because I thought I was getting fat. I didn't know that much at the time. But uh, the moment you stop taking it, you lose the water weight again. And um, as you know, really, you don't have to load up on creatine like that. And you don't have to take carbohydrates for it to work. Just as long as you take it, uh, you know, constantly, it will eventually uh, supercompensate the muscles and then you get the effect that you're actually looking for
0: how uh how many grams do you take a day because like the typical like if somebody goes and buys it the bottle says you know load up on 10 to 20 grams for the first week and then drop to five grams a day do, what do you do on a daily basis
1: i normally take between five and six uh the current uh supplement that i'm taking actually right now has like three grams of creatine so what i do is uh a little bit more so probably I end up taking about six grams but I normally aim for five Um, what I do suggest is uh, depending on your build and how much muscle you have how much you weight you could probably stay between five and eight grams and if you're a small frame male or or a woman probably you could stay once you you know you, you use it for a while on three grams but really there's no again no such big difference the, I think the most important factor to consider is just to be consistent and take it on a daily basis. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: Um, what What about, uh, we pretty much covered the training there. What about uh, training styles, techniques? Have you been, I mean, you're looking at pictures of you, you're pretty, pretty swole, man. Pretty swole. You put in the work. So you're lifting heavy weight and you are you got the hypertrophy. So have you noticed a specific technique that's lent itself to, you know, the most gains in the shortest amount of time, lifting heavy or? What's your what's your protocol?
1: Well, uh, I switch it up, uh, and I've done more so recently. Uh, I work with um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bajesian Bodybuilding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, uh, so I took a menus course like three years ago, two years ago, and I now um, work with him uh, on giving the Bajesian Bodybuilding uh, personal training course in Spanish. So uh, basically, I try to research all the time and experience on myself as well. And I follow very much, uh, many recent research. Uh, so in the end, uh, it really, there's no big difference for hypertrophy, whether you train with, uh, heavier weights or, you know, uh, smaller weights. What matters most is that you are increasing volume. For those that don't know, uh, volume is defined as sets times uh, reps times weight lifted. So you get, you know, a number. So the goal would be to increase that number session after session, uh, even if you do periodization, or at least maintain it in a way so that your body gets accumulated volume, your body grows by progressive overload. So if your aim is, you know, to be stronger, you know, you're, because you're doing a powerlifting meet or so, well, you have to practice the big lifts uh, so your body uh, can learn to do those lifts more efficiently. But if your main goal is just, uh, you know, looks and hypertrophy, then it's better to train with probably with uh, more reps and sets because that's um, how you improve probably, uh, you know, your finer points. But in the end, it's very much or, or you will gain, especially for novice lifters, you will gain basically about the same amount of uh, muscle if you choose to do less uh, reps and more weight versus if you did more uh, reps and uh, less weight. What I would tell you, like um, Menno likes to say um, for, like in, in a very laid back way that um, if you look at your body like a car. Let's say that you have a very good pilot and a good pilot can do wonders even on a crappy car, right? Mm-hmm. Or then you have an awesome car, a Ferrari, and if you're a bad pilot, then probably you will not get very far. So your central nervous system would be like the pilot which you have to train for to do the, the movements correctly. And your muscles are you know, the engine of the car. So if you can get uh, big muscles by training, and then you also train your nervous system by doing the, the movements correctly and doing heavier weights, you're going to get the best of, wo- of both worlds.
0: I agree. So that's a really good way to put it. I think uh, people should incorporate a little bit of both just to kind of cover their basis. And because I mean, they're not really mutually exclusive so much as they are mutually beneficial.
1: Exactly. There, there's, uh, you know, these uh, prevalent myth that people think that uh, bodybuilders are not really strong, that it's just looks, and then uh, that powerlifters have to be, you know, overweight and fat, and it's uh, and they look horrible. And uh, the truth is, you can sort of get both if you train correctly. Again, do the heavy compound lifts, so you train your central nervous system and increase strength and size, and then you can, uh, let's say, sculpt your. Um, Uh, whatever you uh, think you need uh, more work on with accessory lifts, or even, again, um, as they say, uh, chain is as strong as its weakest link. So sometimes uh, there may be a muscle that needs a little bit more work because that's uh, the muscle that is uh, hindering your progress on a compound lift. For example, on some people that want to increase their bench press, for some of them, uh, probably triceps are their issue, so they probably could increase or, or work more the triceps so that they can get a better push while doing the bench press or for some others it may be shoulders so it's uh, about finding what is uh your weak point and training it on the side
0: yeah i i agree what what's uh what's your take on like deload weeks you ever incorporated deload
1: oh yeah they are super necessary uh depending on how you uh you have set up your training routine i think it's uh good idea to do a program deload every five or six weeks again depending on the type of uh, routine you are doing uh normally that's what we have with our clients we normally train in six week cycles and then we have a one week uh let's the seven week which is uh, likely a deload
0: very good yeah i've only recently been incorporating them myself but i i've seen some pretty good results with it i've been uh, training really heavy uh, progressive overload of, like the first you know four to five weeks and that next week I'll do a deload, but I'll increase the volume significantly doing like an FST seven style of training. And I think that's hitting, hitting it all from all angles. And I've seen, I've seen to be recovering quickly and gaining strength from it. So I think it's yes. important for sure. What about, you know, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you out though What you you saying?
1: No, no. I was just saying that it's, uh, again, it's, it's natural and it's needed to Give a break to your n- nervous system, especially if you've been training super heavy. Likely, if you you're your training more so hypertrophy style, um, like the body recovers, and especially muscles, they, they do recover more fast than people think. So, uh, like, for example, probably a novice lifter may need a little bit more uh, recovery time, mm-hmm. but someone who is uh, an intermediate or advanced lifter really doesn't need that much recovery. So, Normally I train like five, six days a week. It may even be some uh, weeks where I train, you know, seven days and I feel perfect. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone that is just new to lifting may, you know, do very well with just three or even four days a week. But in reality, how much uh, days you train, it really depends on the person. So if, uh, let's say I have a client who says, I want to lift five, six days a week, and really, uh, even though he has never lifted before, if he wants to and he has the drive and the, the willpower and the time, well, let's make a program for him so he can lift, uh, you know, five or six days a week.
0: Yeah, and as soon as like, you know, the late onset muscle soreness gets recovered and he's over through that, he'll he'll be able to recover much quickly and not have to deal with that, you know, just debilitating soreness for the first couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, the best way to tackle the dumps is to train more.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, totally random, or not random, but totally off topic, I guess, is I'd, I'd love to get your take on a, a carnivore keto because that's like a really hot topic right now. And, and you've been doing keto for 17 years, so I would definitely respect your opinion of it.
1: Um, if you do it uh, correctly, um, I think it's Okay. The problem I see with those uh, kinds of approaches is that people, you know, just jump in uh, because uh, they've heard it or they want to do it, and then don't do it properly. Very much like uh, some people, you know, take on a ketogenic diet, where they uh, think, oh, it's a high fat diet. So you look at their actual, you know, um, food, and they are just eating a bacon and coffee with a stick of butter. So where all the micronutrients and and uh, electrolytes and everything else? They don't really take care of them, so if you are going to do a carnivore diet, well then you should incorporate organ meats and even bones and a little bit of blood, and you don't know, eat the whole animal so that you don't get any deficiency. I have, uh, you know, some friends that actually uh, follow that kind of diet with no issues, and they've done it for like six or seven years, but again, they eat the whole animal. Yeah. what I've seen is uh it's very much again like people who follow a vegetarian diet and they don't supplement on vitamin b or some issue some other nutrients that over time they may be missing and uh how I explain it to people so that they can understand it correctly is uh think of your body as a lego set right mm-hmm. so what you eat uh, like you degrade on a daily basis like your body starts to break and it's called cell turnover it's natural that's how it works so you require what you eat are are like new pieces of lego so you get the new pieces and your what your body does is looks for what pieces are missing and then incorporates it or incorporates them on your body right so if you go to a diet that is not complete or you don't supplement what you need uh you will be always missing that piece so over time, what will happen is that probably your body will break down because you don't have the you know that missing piece. Uh, probably not tomorrow, probably not in a week, but maybe if you do something, you know, you do something that you, you're not used to, it will break apart, and that's why or uh, the reasons that you know you see problems, for example, with vegetarians, not in one year or two years down the road, but probably between five or ten years afterwards. The same happen to someone who does a full meat diet that doesn't take care of, uh, you know, reviewing the complete micronutrients. And the same would happen to someone who does a ketogenic diet that is not well balanced. And the same happens to people who do a standard American diet that don't take the, you know, the importance of micronutrition, in uh, don't pay that in mind, right? That's yeah. why we have a lot of, uh, you know, these uh, modern uh, diseases because, we may be missing on some important or key nutrients that, again, one week, one year down the road, really there's not a big difference. But over time, you know, your body wants you to pay the the bills.
0: Now that, that that's you put that perfectly. I like uh, I like the analogies you've been using. I think they resonate really well with, with myself for sure and the audience. Perfect. 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 Well, Luz, I know I, we've, I know we've been on here for about an hour now. I don't want to take too much more of your time here, but um, I, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I've, I've heard great things about you. I wanted to actually talk to you in person. Uh, but where, where can people go to find out more about you?
1: Awesome, man. Well, uh, if you uh, Google up Keto Gains, basically um, that's w- where you can find us. So we have a web page. We are on Reddit, and we are the most active on uh, Facebook. So if you go and log in on Facebook and write Keto Gains, you will find our uh, main um Facebook forum. We also have a group, but again, the group just will direct you to the to the Facebook group. Uh, the group is should be about 90k persons right now. The Reddit group is about 60 something. So, uh, like, what we preach most or what we try to do is uh, do a ketogenic diet, but based on evidence. So we are like very much science lovers. We try to find uh, the reasons why something works. Explain it uh, like uh, from a science perspective. So we really don't, are not stuck in dogma. So if down the road uh, there comes a study that says that a ketogenic diet will make you die, probably you will hear it first from us, and then we will have to change a little bit our stances yeah. because we are, uh, you know, evidence and science first of, uh, above everything. The reason why we do a ketogenic diet and we suggest it over, you know, just lowering your calories. And so it's because, um, we've, uh, experimented and seen that for a lot of people, that's the only diet that kind of works sustainable, sustainably, because, uh, if you just go and tell somebody to eat less calories over time, they get, you know, super hungry, they get cravings and they end up, you know, breaking the diet and, you know, gaining all the weight back for people that we've coached and, uh, talk to and help there, there's a success rate you know an, an incredible success rate where we have people you know who've been with us or in contact for three years and uh this is you know uh the one I can share you some stories later on but we have people who started at 40 percent body weight and they are now at 19 percent body weight like if you look at them right now you think they've been training and uh, dieting their whole lives and they've been super lean on their whole lives. No, they were, you know, they started super overweight, but uh, through a change of habits and uh, a focus on eating whole foods and with the help of the ketogenic diet, they changed not, uh, again, not not their diet, but their whole life. Yeah, so that's yeah. why we, um, we prefer this uh, type of uh, dieting, which if you look at it in the end, and we don't like to really label it a ketogenic diet, it's a whole food approach that in the end, Uh, Due to the macro recommendations will put most uh, of the people in a ketogenic state, but you don't have to be on a ketogenic state, you know, 24-7. It really depends on, you know, the person. If if you like to eat this way and if you prefer to eat just more uh, fat and and meat, you will be probably ketogenic most of the time, but if you want to incorporate some sweet potato and uh, some, you know, uh, healthy uh, sources of carbohydrates, you can probably also incorporate them with, um, uh, with responsibility and especially around training and you will still lose weight and, and feel incredible and look incredible. The issue would be as, uh, we know, uh, you know, the eating irresponsibly and eating all the time, the foods that in reality are killing us.
0: I agree. I, th- I think, uh, you know, all of us in this space, we're, we're taking a much more holistic approach to nutrition and, and, Everybody might do things a little bit differently, but if the underlying theme is to take a holistic approach and eat quality foods, I mean, the end result is going to be far and above what it would be if you were just eating a standard American processed food diet.
1: Exactly. If you actually look at um, the most successful diets, what I would say is that what they have in common is um, an approach to eating whole foods. And then to be mindful of eating habits, uh, like, uh, like we said way before is uh, people want to be eating all the time. And uh, we uh, live in a society where eating has become entertainment, mm-hmm. when in reality, eating should be sustenance, right? Food is energy. It's not something that we should be uh, abusing. So again, it's just uh, sitting back and looking at our, our habits. And uh, understanding that we should not be medicating ourselves with food. If we are bored, uh, we should not, you know, just go and order a pizza. Probably there are other or better things that we can do. Or just be aware that we are bored and we don't have to entertain ourselves with food.
0: I completely agree. I mean, that's, yeah, I can't can't say any better. You hit it perfectly. Um, Well, you said you've been doing it for 17 years. You don't have any intentions of stopping now, right?
1: No, unless, again, uh, like, this is uh, something that has become basically my identity. And here's uh, the funny thing. Even before I was doing keto, I was sort of eating this way, but, you know, of course, adding things that I shouldn't, like, you know, donuts and pizza and so, but most of the time I already ate, you know, eggs and ham and um, green veggies. And so I just added things on top which were not, um, you know, uh, the best thing toward my goals. And that's, that were the things that were really hindering my progress. The moment that I uh, limited them or took them out completely, that's when I had, you know, uh, the best results. And also felt, it's not just about how you look, but how you feel, how you perform, how you are on a daily day, uh, day day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look at how most people in big cities nowadays, uh, they live, they are tired all the day They feel hungry all the time. They need to eat every three hours, you know, like if they were enslaved and someone who starts a ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting uh, with a focus on whole foods, they experience that, um, I don't know, this liberation from food where basically you don't have to stop and refuel every three hours, every whatever. You feel energized all day long. You don't have to go even for a Starbucks or whatever. Like you can, you just uh, leave food. I don't know for later, and uh, you feel basically liberated.
0: I completely agree. I, I tell people. I think I've said it on the podcast before. Like even if science came out that said that the ketogenic diet was going to guarantee, you know, is going to cut 10 years off your life, I would still probably do it. I don't think that's going to happen, but I would still do it simply <laughs> because my quality of living has increased significantly.
1: Exactly. Here's here's uh, what I tell people, especially, I don't know if you've uh, seen uh, that, uh, well, those studies that came a year ago, which were not really studies, but more so headlines that, you know, eating high-protein diets and eating meat and whatever will kill you and give you cancer and whatever. Um, and the reality is, if you actually look at everything, uh, people who actually eat adequate protein and even those who eat, uh, you know, whole foods, get a higher standard of living. So what would be the point to live to 100 years if you're going to live on a wheelchair versus versus living to your 75s or 80s and being able to do exactly what you do today and be independent, right? Don't have a, a lady that has to help you wipe your ass when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, my biggest fear. I want to be able to do the things that I do whether I'm 40 or I'm 70. I see no point of living to 100 years if I'm going to be, you know, like, uh, with respect, like, uh, Stephen Hawking's, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you said you're 40 years now?
1: I'm 40 years, yes.
0: Yeah, see, I would never guess that looking at your picture. You look like you're 27, man.
1: <laughs> I, I get uh, comments like that all the time, like, uh, why is this uh, 23 or whatever guy telling me how to eat and whatever, what experience? And, no, yeah, I'll be doing this, like, almost 20 years. I've been lifting for almost 24 years now so i think i, I know a little bit of uh, what i'm doing
0: yeah no, i mean i'm i'm 26 years old so you've been lifting almost as long as i've been alive so hats off to you <laughs> very cool well Lewis again man it's, it's been a pleasure I, I really enjoyed talking with you and we'll definitely have to keep in touch man
1: awesome man so uh thanks a lot for having me it's been an honor talking to you and let's keep in touch
0: absolutely absolutely well until next time sir take care